It's Friday, July 13th, and from the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. All over the country, companies are trying to reduce their energy consumption, and that includes pro sports teams like the world champion Philadelphia Eagles. When we first opened the stadium, we looked at our energy bill and we uh, saw that it was uh, very large. Uh, and so very quickly we were like, hey, there, there has to be a better way to do this. Fifteen years ago, the Eagles organization started looking for simple ways to green up their operations. The goal was always to reduce environmental impacts and promote sustainable business practices, but after the team started working with NRG Energy on a series of increasingly ambitious facility upgrades, they quickly saw there was also vast potential to improve the team's bottom line. There's this myth out there that uh, if you do something that is quote-unquote green, you have to be willing to pay more for it. And the fact is, our customers typically don't. And and in most cases, actually, we save them money. Today, the Eagles facilities are 100% powered by solar and wind energy, most of it generated on site. And virtually all of their waste is diverted from landfills. That's why the Eagles were recognized at last month's Philadelphia Environmental Partnership Dinner for their leadership on sustainability. We'll learn more about the Go Green program on this episode. But first, an update from the Laurel Highlands Conservation Landscape in southwestern Pennsylvania. It's one of two DCNR conservation landscape programs for which PAC serves as external lead. Program manager Marla Papernick is our boots on the ground in the Laurel Highlands, and she joins us now to chat about what's happening lately in the landscape this summer and this fall. Hi, Marla. Hey, Josh. You recently gave out some mini-grants, I understand. Yes, really exciting. This was the first year that PEC administered the Laurel Highlands Conservation Landscape Mini-Grant Program. As you know, PEC manages several mini-grant programs for DCNR, and uh, we modeled our program after the Poconos. We received 30 applications that addressed issues across all the topics that we work in, water conservation, land conservation, trails, tourism and outdoor recreation, infrastructure. So we had a a wide array of topics. And as I said, we got 30 applicants for requesting $185,000. Sadly, we had $50,000, but we were able to successfully spread that across 11 projects that, again, reflected sort of the myriad of issues we're working on. Well, clearly a strong interest in the program regardless. That's got to be good news. Yes, yeah. So obviously the Conservation Landscape Program is is something we do in very close partnership with the Department of Conservation Natural Resources. And sort of, I don't know if this is under under that umbrella technically or not, but something I know you've been working on recently in conjunction with DCNR folks is getting park staff, state park employees together in rooms to get to know each other and get to know the other's facilities better so you have more of a cohesive kind of team approach. Exactly. You summed it up beautifully. This initiative came out of our tourism committee, and many of our partners had been working for years reaching out to the parks, and they said, hey, it'd be great if the parks reached out to us. And the park managers and the parks in the Laurel Highlands and also Forbes State Forest have always been trying to educate their staffs on not only their own parks, but the other outdoor recreation amenities in the region. So we formalized the process, and we it was really exciting. People really loved it. These folks came from the several parks in Forbes State Forest, and they learned more about their own park and about 
the other opportunities around the landscape. When you were first telling me about this idea, I was kind of I was kind of surprised to think that like you have all of these state park employees and they all live and work probably within a few minutes drive of one another. It's surprising to me that there would be the need to educate people on what's going on you know outside of their immediate area. But then I tagged along with you on one of these trainings, and I was shocked at how much information there actually was. To, like, I, I learned a lot. I think the park managers even learned something. Right. I don't think anyone left that room without finding out about something new. And it was also interesting. We found out, like, there are cool little gems, and no one really knows where they are or right. how to get there. So now folks will be more informed and be able to tell people, hey, that's over there. So that's pretty cool, too. I also want to say, like, I, the park managers and Ed Callahan at Forbes State Forest, I mean, it is really impressive how they embrace this project. I walked away thinking these managers really care genuinely and deeply about the work that they do. Obviously, it's a hard job, so they wouldn't be doing it if they didn't where they wouldn't be doing it as successfully, but they really care about the people that they work with, and they really care about the visitors and the people coming into the park. Let's, uh, let's focus on trails for a minute, shall we? Sure. You got the Trail Summit coming up in September. Tell me about that. So we have a biannual trail summit in the Laurel Highlands in the fall. This is the second one that I've personally been involved with, and it will be in Ebensburg, uh, near the Ghost Town Trail. So we'll be using the Ghost Town Trail as part of our classroom and outdoor workshops. This is targeted towards people working in the trail community in the region. Certainly anyone else is welcome to join because the issues we're going to be addressing are fairly universal. And that's September 18th. Another thing that's coming up this fall in October, the Land Trust Alliance is having their annual rally here in Pittsburgh and uh, working with our land committee, who's led by Jane Menchek at Western Pennsylvania Conservancy. Uh, we put in three proposals to do some field trips for folks before the rally started. And two of our field trips were accepted. We're going to be looking at land acquisition and conservation issues, uh, Flight 93, Ohio Pile, the Great Allegheny Passage, over two days uh, with two different groups. It's another example of the great partnerships that exist in the conservation landscape. And in this case, partnerships that exist across state boundaries. Like, this is a national gathering, right? It's a pretty right. big deal. It's a national gathering. It is a big deal, yeah. And we get to showcase our region, which is super exciting. Marla, I know that PAC has been involved in some, some GIS work on the, the Go to Trails platform and others. And there's something called the uh, Laurel Highlands Landscape Sandbox. What's the sandbox? What's in it? What's going on? Josh, I'm really glad you brought this up. This is one of like the best-kept secrets, unfortunately. And I clearly need to do more promotion. So here I go. On our Go to Trails website, we have created a sandbox that is specifically dedicated to the Laurel Highlands conservation landscape. We have trail data, water data, tourism data, so much information. It's a tool where you can put layers of data on top of each other and see how they impact each other. And it's really powerful. I know the people who have used it Carla, Mountain Watershed Association, used it to update her river conservation plan and saved her hours and hours. So I point you all to the Laurel Highlands Conservation Landscape Sandbox. And and when you see it, you're going to want to participate in my current dream project, which is to tell the story of all our partners on this map. So this is a way to kind of layer in some uh, imagery and some narrative on top of all of the data. Yes, and it's also a chance for people to 
kind of tell their story and maybe connect with other people. Hey, they they did that. I'm having I'm struggling with that. I'm going to give them a call or hey, look at us. Right. We have a great project. Which is kind of the conservation landscape's way. That is. Marla Papernick from the Laurel Highlands Conservation Landscape Pack Program Manager. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Josh. It's been a big year for the Philadelphia Eagles. In February, in case you didn't hear, they beat the Patriots 41-33 to to win the Super Bowl for the first time in team history. Not bad. But soon after that, they learned they'd have to make some more room in the trophy case, this time for the 2018 Industry Innovation and Corporate Sustainability Award presented last month at PAC's Philadelphia Environmental Partnership Dinner. Director of Fan Experience Norman Fosschulte was there briefly to receive the award on the team's behalf. Well, on behalf of uh, Jeffrey Lurie, Christina Weiss-Lurie, and of course, the Super Bowl world champions, Philadelphia Eagles. We also appreciate so much our partnership with NRG. Um, it is incredible what we get to do. When we go around the world, um, we find ourselves in rooms um, of sustainability partners that ask us questions. And it is with partnerships such as with Energy that this is possible that we can not only be a sustainability partner, but actually a front runner in the sustainability sector. So we really appreciate the partnership. We appreciate this award. Unfortunately, I can't stick around tonight because we're getting our Super Bowl rings tonight. Um, so I think that's a good enough excuse, but go Eagles! Now, I didn't get a chance to interview Norman Fosschulte that night. That's because as soon as he left the stage, he had to take off for the Super Bowl rings presentation ceremony you heard him mention. As it happens, that was scheduled for the same night as our Philadelphia Environmental Partnership dinner. It was happening concurrently across town, so he had to split. And I have to admit, as excuses go... That's pretty hard to beat. I did catch up with Norman later by phone to uh, learn more about how the Eagles became the greenest team in professional sports. Here's our conversation. Tell me about the Go Green initiative and how it got started. What was the initial conception? What were the goals and how those kind of shaped up over time? Yeah, so the uh, Go Green program, it really was always on the mind of Jeffrey Lurie and Christina Weiss-Lurie at the time. The stadium was built in 2003, the current stadium that we're in. Lincoln Financial Fields. The owners got with us in the operations department and said, we got to do something to be sustainable. You know, we're a citizen just like you and I are citizens and the Eagles as a citizen or as a corporate citizen have a bigger impact than you and I. So we also have a responsibility to be sustainable. So we looked at our operation and we said, well, what's the lowest hanging fruit? And we kind of started from there. We It started with a blue bin under everyone's desk. Uh, that was some of the easiest things we could do right away. And we could measure how much paper we could recycle. And it went on from there, right? And it has led us in, on this journey all the way to now having the largest solar power plant installation in the NFL, uh, in any stadium, uh, as well as being the first sports team in the world to become ISO 21 to 1 certified, which was established by the Olympic Games in London uh, 2012. So it, it really has been just an incredible journey. I think the initial conversation of we have the responsibility and that being really on the forefront of everyone's mind uh, in, in all of our operations as we daily uh, work as a sports team with the number one goal in mind to win the Lombardi Trophy has helped us to make sustainable decisions as we are on this journey. And that has led us to where we are now. 
So you start really small with low-hanging fruit, I think, as you said, and then over time you get into much more ambitious kinds of projects. Tell me more about how those decisions get made when you're kind of early on in that process. How do you decide what to target, what's going to give you the best bang for your buck in terms of the investments that you make in sustainability? Yeah, I think that's a great question because there's really a lot out there that you can do. And some of the things that are might be uh, good for you. Some of the things might not really work out. And as you just mentioned, the return on investment on some of these things might be, you know, a lot quicker than some of the others. We always approach uh, our sustainability decisions and have approached them over the last years from various angles. The number one angle for us is always we have a responsibility. Let's make a sustainable decision not based on the return of investment, but really, is this good for the environment and does it work for our venue? Does it work for our operation? And then we go from there and say, well, then does it also make fiscal sense? But the the first question is always, on the sustainability platform, does it work for us? And is this good for the environment? I'll give you an example. There was a company called Orbio that came to us uh, probably six, seven years ago and said, uh, we have these spray bottles and it's a non-chemical water solution based on water, salt and electrolytes. And uh, these electrolytes are infused into the water and it, it can clean anything better than with any chemical. And so we said, well, let's try it out. They're little spray bottles. It's really hard to clean an entire stadium with little spray bottles, but we tried it out for a couple of months. And uh, we went back to the company and said, hey, good news is these spray bottles really work. Uh, the bad news is, is that, uh, you know, you can't clean a stadium with uh, tens of thousands of square feet with little spray bottles. Can you make us a machine that holds hundreds of gallons of water, the same solution, And they said, well, let's go back to the drawing board. They actually created the machine. We bought one of them and eventually we bought another one. And that is what we still use today now with an upgraded system to clean the entire stadium. Um, And it's, it's those decisions, I think, taking a moment to really examine what you're being offered looking at the uh, impact it can have on us and in the environment, and then also looking at the return of investment that helps us make sustainable decisions. Another quick example is um, we used to compost quite a bit of our pre-consumer food waste in the stadium. And uh, one of the largest composting facility around our area was shut down. Uh, The government shut it down because there was too much contamination. So we were left uh, high and dry and we didn't know where to send our compost. So we had to find a new composting facility. However, they were a lot more stringent with what we were able to send there. So we had to find other ways to either compost or recycle. And because we had a a commitment that none of our trash is going to a landfill. For the last three years, we've been over 99% landfill free. And so we weren't going to revert that process. Um, So some of our uh, um, waste went to Energy From Waste, which is an EPA controlled agency and produces uh, energy from burning the waste. But we said that can't be the ultimate solution. What, what else is, is out there? So we did find another composting facility, but we also found and we tried out digesters. So we have one digester over at our training facility and it uh, worked really well for us. Again, with the whole trial and error, we tried it on a smaller scale. It worked so well for us that we now purchased two very large digesters and installed them in the stadium. So I think that is how we go about making uh, these decisions is really looking at it, trying it out, testing it and seeing if there is a good return on investment. But it does it make sense for us in the operation as well as for the environment? And then we'll do it. When you differentiate between those different ways of measuring return on investment, like is, you know, first of all, is it meeting our sustainability goals? And then secondarily, 
is this uh, also good for the company's bottom line? I'm interested more in in where those overlap. Actually, I don't want to um, I don't want to downplay the second part of that. Uh, you you guys are saving some real money with this, right? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, when we first opened the stadium, we looked at our energy bill and we uh, saw that it was uh, very large. Uh, and so very quickly we were like, hey, there, there has to be a better a better way to do this, right? But most of our decisions are handled on a case-by-case basis, right? So in the, in the case of the energy bill, we basically went back, evaluated and said, well, what can we do, right? Let's, let's get rid of electric energy or, you know, or, or let's, uh, you know, not eliminate it. You can't, but is there a way to get green energy into the house or is there a way to switch to natural gas or is there, you know, and so we ask ourselves these questions and when it makes sense fiscally, then we go about it, right? Um, and I'll give you one example that, that works really well for, for your question here, but LED lighting. So LED lighting about uh, 10, 12 years ago was the latest, uh, greatest thing. Uh, if you remember, you could go in a supermarket or Home Depot, whatever, you know, your local stores and you could buy LED light bulbs, but they were very expensive. And you saw the incandescent light bulbs right next to it and you said, man, I can get 20 for the price of one and people really didn't buy them as much, right? But for us, that didn't mean we're not going to now use LED, we're just going to wait. We actually decided let's install LED lighting, but let's install it in the most used spaces in our facilities. So we installed it in people's offices, in uh, conference rooms. We installed it in the locker room over at Novacare, which is used most of the year. Uh, We did not, however, install it right away in the locker room over here at the stadium because it's only used 10 times a year. As light bulbs, as LED lighting has become cheaper and has become uh, more fiscally responsible over the years, for us to install, we've now installed it in larger spaces, such as the uh, locker room over here, right? Um, That all has helped us to cut our annual electricity usage by more than 50% since Lincoln Financial Field's first full year of operation. Uh, And it saved us more than $7,000 in electric usage. Now, over the years, these measures have taken... They've been kind of taken to fulfill our goal of becoming a more energy efficient organization. And that's how we make those decisions um, to to see, well, where it, does it make sense? It kind of goes back to what I just said earlier, you know. Right. But in the case of LED lighting, I think now we're almost fully LED. We're, we're fully switched to LED lighting. We're now looking into the last segment, which is switching our stadium lighting to LED lighting. Um, there is a lot more that goes into that because of certain regulations with the NFL and shadows they can throw and all that. And you have to look at the right lighting. Mm. And and uh, that's quite a bit of an investment. But again, the return on investment now to install that system is, is a lot better than it was five years ago. Well, and it seems as though the Eagles are in kind of a leadership position, within, certainly within the NFL and I guess probably within professional sports generally in pursuing these kinds of things. And I wonder if other organizations are beginning to or are looking ahead to trying to realize some of the value that you've you know, you've opened the way for, like, for example, the cleaning system you were talking about. You found a way to scale this up and meet the specific, like, fairly idiosyncratic, I would think, needs of a, of a large football stadium. And similarly with the lighting and other examples you mentioned, you sort of pioneered and prototyped technology that maybe wasn't widely commercially available before. Maybe that's an open door now for other teams to kind of follow your example. Oh, it certainly is happening. We always like to say that we are rivals on the field, but we're partners off the field, right? And so 
Um, there are um, other NFL teams and, and other sports teams worldwide. This is not just through uh, organizations such as Green Sports Alliance or Sustainability Innovations in Sports in Europe and, you know, that we partner with these teams. But um, we, we always like to exchange information on sustainability, um, even with just with stadium operations groups that don't necessarily, um, you know, ho- they host sporting events or concerts, but they just operate a stadium. That is happening, yes. A lot of times we find ourselves in that role of having pioneered some of these things, which is exciting for us, and that's why we like to share it. One of Jeffrey Lurie's big things uh, in 2003 was we have to be trendsetters, and we certainly are, and that's always in the back of our mind as well. But we've shared the technology such as the cleaning solution that I just shared, um, the, uh, the solar power plants. There are teams now like the Giants and Jets, the Seahawks, the Ravens, uh, they've installed thousands of solar panels around their buildings. And I think that that partnership makes it exciting, right? Because everyone realizes that you're in this together when it comes to sustainability. And by the way, the good thing that comes out of this also is, for example, FIFA now is, uh, has the bidding process going for some of the stadiums to host the 2026 World Cup Games. And if there is a special certification needed for stadiums and sustainability, I believe ISO is one of them. Other stadiums might come to us and say, well, how did you obtain this or how did you get this? And so that's information we can share as well as vendors. You know, we're certainly reaching out to other teams and asking them, well, who did you go to to install LED lighting in the stadium? You know, are they are they tried and tested and true? Did you like them? And and how much was the cost? And so I think in all of those, we were definitely partners. I think it's interesting that your job title is director of fan experience. It's interesting that this has been sort of the frame for this initiative. Talk about how how the idea was conceived in terms of relating to your fans and also how they have responded. Uh, what kind of feedback are you getting from people visiting the stadium and just generally? Yeah, Josh, I think that's a great point that you're making there, you know, and a great question. The, um, the thing that I've realized in this industry now that I've been doing this for three, four years in sustainability is that everyone now is asking the question of, well, how are your fans impacted by this? And are you sharing the message with your fans? And if so, how are you doing that? And are you successful? And how are you measuring that? I think those are all questions in the industry right now that everyone's asking. Where two years ago, it might have been more on the technology side and, well, what type of sustainability initiatives are are you doing now it's all well how are we sharing that with our fans and are we having an impact with it with us it was always important that we would uh, be able to reach our fans but that we would not impact their fan experience in a negative way we understand that our fans come to see either a sporting event or a collegiate you know collegiate or a professional sporting event or a concert uh, you know or or any other event in the stadium so we decided to share this in a smart way with our fans and have a little fun with it. So inside the stadium, what you'll find is some really neat advertising, such as a large sign over men's urinals that says, uh, recycle your beer here, right? And your trash outside. Or uh, it'll say, trash the skins, giants, and cowboys, but recycle your trash here. It has a, a picture of our kicker on a big billboard that says, kick back your thermostat by two degrees and you can save thousands of dollars on your energy bill. And so things like that, that I think have, have the fans like, and they like to see that because it, it translates you know, our sustainability efforts in a more fun way to our fans. Another way what we're doing is uh, when school classes or any kind of tours come through the building right now um, to see Lincoln Financial Fields and to, you know, see where the Eagles have become the uh, Super Bowl world champions for the first time last year. We, in our tour scripts, we have all of our sustainability facts included. 
So we, you know, we slide all of our green notes in there so that when people leave here, they haven't just seen, you know, Lincoln Financial Field, home of the Super Bowl World Champions, but they've also seen a stadium that is making every effort to be sustainable. They will have learned when they leave here that, oh, those wind turbines in our solar panels produce 40% of our energy that we use in a year. All the energy we buy back, the extra 60% is all green energy. Uh, all the trash in the stadium gets sorted by trash sorters and is then recycled. And over 99% is recycled and nothing reaches a landfill. And so that's exciting for us, you know, because we try to, in a um, more creative way, reach our fans and the fan experience my role, you know, I, I used to work for Disney and so uh, I was a spokesperson for that company. The, the translation naturally fit with being a spokesperson for sustainability because I worked under the corporate citizenship umbrella at Disney. But I think uh, it's very interesting how now my role with fan experience has fused into sustainability has actually become something that fans are really interested now and it becomes more and more of a topic these days. And so we are able to, you know, slide sustainability into all of our events these days, which is which is exciting for us. Well, it, it's exciting for us to be able to recognize the fine work that you're doing. And I really appreciate you taking some time with me today. I, I'd hoped to interview you at the uh, award ceremony, but that was a rather a big night for you. You made a, a brief appearance before heading off to you arguably perhaps the the bigger draw for the evening is <laughs> yeah. uh, i know i know i, I you know i should have i should have come uh, maybe i should have stayed a little longer but i tell you what <laughs> i was very excited uh, to join our other event that evening yes well i really appreciate your time and again congratulations uh, both on the super bowl and, and also on on this award and on everything you've accomplished with the initiative thank you so much josh uh, appreciate it very much Norman Fosschulte is director of fan experience for the Philadelphia Eagles, winner, among other notable recent honors, of the Industry Innovation and Corporate Sustainability Award presented at this year's Philadelphia Environmental Partnership Dinner. Now, it's important to note the Eagles didn't get to be an industry leader in sustainability all on their own. They had help from the energy experts at NRG Energy, which partners with companies all over the country to develop clean energy and waste reduction solutions. Bruno Sarda is NRG's head of sustainability. Are NFL teams pretty pretty typical of the kinds of companies you normally work with, or is this a little bit out of the ordinary? No, it's. I mean, we we work with all kinds of organizations. Stadiums are somewhat atypical in the sense that the the nature of the structure doesn't lend itself as well. You know, usually there's not a good roof to use those, those kinds of things. So mostly these were about demonstration projects, where both for the fans as well as the industry to show some of the things that could be done on a small scale. So not all installations at NFL stadiums produce an enormous amount of power, let's say. Uh, The Eagle Stadium for sure does. But the relationship was really one of leveraging both the, the reach of the NFL to try to show all the people who go through these stadiums what is possible. But our more typical, if you will, solutions deployment would be larger commercial scale, commercial industrial facilities, you know, hotels, university campuses, those kinds of things. For a project like this, how do you go about choosing the things you want to target, what you want to focus on? How does the process work for that? It always starts with what does the client or, or the partner want and then what is needed. We try to really make a strong case for the fact that a, a 
environmentally friendly projects and attributes actually make good business sense. There's this myth out there that uh, if you do something that is quote-unquote green, you have to be willing to pay more for it. And the fact is our customers typically don't. And in most cases, actually, we save them money through renewable energy projects. So you start from still very much the fundamentals, like from a customer perspective, you know, what are they paying? What are they spending on energy? Where is that energy being spent? You know, maybe, for example, in a stadium, a lot of the energy is would be in lights. So then first you look at, okay, well, can we retrofit with LED lights, for example, that would still produce the kind of quality of light that would be appropriate for the sport? Because it's not just, hey, I'm going to put LED, but it's, you know, it has to be right. So the project really starts very quickly looking like your typical kind of assessment as well as then kind of solutions design in terms of, okay, what kind of space do we have to work with? Do we have backlot side of the structures, whether it's lighting, whether it's uh, some of the systems like HVAC cooling, you know, for some of the stadiums where we work, we also take part of district cooling systems for either steam or chilled water so that you could cool or heat the facility without necessarily producing that on site. So it it really looks at um, all aspects of how is energy being consumed, spent, and or produced? What's the client or customer paying? And then how can we design a solution that will be both more environmentally friendly as well as make economic sense? You mentioned the original thinking for this was kind of as a demonstration project. Are you also involved in the public outreach education component of that? In some ways, in some ways, some of the displays, some of the ways the uh, the technology is presented is very much presented with kind of a public in mind. So, for example, if you go to a stadium, it's mostly not to learn about how, you know, that stadium is powered. So you don't want to get in the middle of the fan experience, but you can do things, for example, at most of the NFL stadiums where we work, we have uh, portable charging stations where you could get kind of rent out, if you will, portable chargers for your device so that if you're using your phone to check stacks or to take film or photos during, you know, and we can engage you at that point of, hey, Here's how we, you know, help you basically stay powered through the game. And this power comes from, you know, those things on the roof. We'll have some messaging around, hey, do you know there's, you know, X thousands of panels all around the stadium and X percent of the lights powered. So we, we do all kinds of that, if you will. We produce all the, all the data, the signage, the messaging. At the end of the day, you know, we don't have an active role in getting in the middle of the fan because that's really not what we want, frankly, not what the team wants. They want the fans to come and really enjoy the game but at the same time, learn something along the way. Uh, what else are you working on along these lines, kind of in the Philadelphia area, maybe elsewhere in Pennsylvania? You know, we have a variety of things going on. Uh, certainly, we're doing a lot in Pennsylvania in our retail business. You know, one of the things we found is uh, Pennsylvania being a state where you can actually choose who you buy your power from uh, at home in your, in your business. Um, we found that actually a lot, over half of people in the state don't even know they have that choice and they don't know that they have choices like, you know, we provide now in all the markets we serve, we provide 100% renewables off the grid, right? So you can choose a plan for your home. Let's say your home either can't support solar uh, on your roof, either because your roof is too small or there's too many trees or that's just not what you want or maybe you rent. You could choose a plan through, um, if you will, your, your basic bill uh, where you're buying 100% renewable. So we're trying to create a lot of awareness around that. We're trying to create a lot of interest through affinities. So we do partnerships with 
teams like the Eagles, we do partnerships with airlines, for example, so that you can earn air, airline miles when you're buying your power. And we're certainly working also with large uh, employers in the Philadelphia area and greater Pennsylvania, both on how do we help them address their desire for more sustainable energy solutions, but also how do we potentially, through our retail products, give them preferential access to our retail offerings for their employees and, in some cases, their customers. You said you've worked with some other NFL uh, franchises and the, the league level. What other teams are we talking about? Are the, are the Eagles kind of the greenest ones out there? Who else is in this in this game? In football, certainly the Eagles are right up there. You know, we work with a variety of other teams where we've done, again, work at stadiums from the Patriots, the Cowboys, certainly the Houston Texans. You know, they play in NRG stadiums. So, uh, you know, we've done a lot of work down there as well. And we don't really work with other um, major professional sports, so football is really the focus for our engagement with professional sports. But the Eagles, for sure, both, I think, as a team kind of set of values, but also in actual deployment, the amount of renewable power they've deployed at Eagle Stadium is, is second to none in the league. Well, congratulations, and thanks so much for your time today. All right. Thanks for having me. That's Bruno Sarda, VP of Sustainability for NRG Energy, which partnered with the Philadelphia Eagles on their Go Green initiative. NRG was also one of the lead sponsors of our Philadelphia dinner last month. For photos from that dinner and more on the proceedings, check out our website at pecpa.org, where you can learn more about the Pennsylvania Environmental Council and its program work in watersheds, trails and recreation, energy and climate, communities and landscapes, and more. Also, our policy program and advocacy for the environment and conservation in state and local governments all over the Commonwealth. Again, the website, pecpa.org. And that's it for Pennsylvania Legacies this time. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to check out our Twitter feed at PECPA and connect with us on Facebook. We'd love to hear your feedback on the program when you email legacies at pecpa.org. Let us know What's working, what isn't, what you'd like to hear more or less of, any suggestions for topics or guests, we are all ears. And we're especially grateful for your feedback in Apple Podcasts or other platforms where the podcast is available. Ratings and reviews make a big difference in helping other listeners discover the show. Uh, Even more important is word of mouth. So if you know anybody who has an interest in these topics in Pennsylvania or beyond, be sure to let them know to listen to Pennsylvania Legacies, which comes out every other Friday on uh, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. Of course, you can always listen the old-fashioned way by streaming on our website at pecpa.org slash audio. All of our past episodes are available there as well. We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson. Thanks for listening. (music) 